Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, do you feel tremors of fear traveling up and down your spine? No, it's not Halloween. It's tax season. And for several months leading up to the end of 2017, all we heard was constant chatter, pro and con, over the tax reform bill. And surprisingly to many, Congress actually passed the bill in late December, and as you know, it was rapidly signed into law by President Trump. Although it's now the law of the land, the new tax law for 2018 remains confusing to many of us, in fact, even to tax experts. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I are still up in the air over whether we'll pay more or less 2018 taxes than we would have under the prior rules. And furthermore, what actions, if any, should we be uh, beginning to take now uh, to minimize our 2018 tax burden under the new law? And more immediately, what mistakes should all of us seek to avoid, uh, both as we prepare and submit our final 2017 returns? And to help answer these questions, I've invited tax pro and personal financial expert, Abby Eisencraft, and Abby is a federally licensed tax professional, CEO of Choice Tax Solutions, Inc., and with her team developed the Real Life Tax Advice Program, and she's author of the 2017 book, 100 Ways, or 101 Ways to Stay Off the IRS Radar. And hello, Abby Eisencraft, and we're most honored to have you with us at this moment. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Well, if we may, I'd like to talk uh, first recently about the recently enacted new tax law. And for the bulk of us uh, individual American wage earners, what does 2018 hold for us in terms of taxes? If you can read. Well, you know that. what? I have to tell you, Roy, the answer to any question in tax is always it's depend- it depends. Yeah, because, no. you know what? It's as individual as a fingerprint. Everyone has a different tax situation. That's so, it, it, you know, some people are homeowners, they'll be affected with the cap. Some people are not. Some people have children. Other people don't. So, you know, all around, though, I mean, everyone's up in arms, and it's not a terrible thing. There's going to be an increased standard deduction for those folks who have children. There's going to be an increased credit of an extra $1,000. I mean, you know, there's some good things there for sure. Yeah, I was just going to have you highlight some of the real major changes that uh, you you touched on a couple of them, but... uh... There are a couple other, of course, we're not talking about corporate tax rates right now, although they may impact our dividends or whatever we, we might earn from our stocks. But uh, what are a couple of the other major changes we should look for in the 2018 personal taxes? Well, again, that standard deduction doubles to 24000 when you're married. So yeah. a standard deduction is something that you get without question. You don't have to show any receipts or, yeah. or, or, or do much of anything. So it's, it's a pretty big number, and, and it's more than most people see, so it, it, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of personal exemptions, 
which would have been about $4,150, that goes away, unfortunately. Oh. But again, with that bump up in standard deduction, you know, we're still better off number-wise, right? Unless you come, you have a really, really big family, because yeah. then, then you're really going to lose a lot. So, again, each person is going to have a different reaction to the tax law. Yeah, that's for sure. And, of course, you folks live in high-tax uh, states, uh, and where real estate's real expensive may uh, lose out on some of those deductions you have. Most definitely, big time. In states like New York, New Jersey, California, where the um, where the real estate taxes are really high, it's a tough one because yeah. the cap now is on state and local taxes paid, and that's income taxes plus real estate taxes for a total of ten thousand. So oh, that I means see. that. So that means that your W-2, you're going to look at the bottom of it. You're going to say, okay, I had $4,000 of state tax withheld, and let's just say your real estate taxes are ten grand. Well, yeah. that 14 is going to be capped to ten. So that's yeah. a tough one for some folks. Yes, it is. And, of course, you, as you mentioned, the interest rate deduction uh, interest expense is also capped. Isn't that the same 10000 or? No, it, it, it's all... It's all of it together, so that, that's, that's pretty tough. So it's state and local taxes paid and state and local property taxes. All of that together is capped at the 10000 rate, so that's yeah, tough. No, I was talking about mm-hmm. uh, interest on your uh, mortgage. Oh, the mortgage interest. So the mortgage interest, no, the mortgage interest isn't capped at 10 k The mortgage interest is um, it's not capped at all oh. unless you get to the um, – Unless your mortgage is more than seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, that's so again, right. it's the size of the mortgage, not the uh... exactly. So for for people in you know people not in New York and California, and look, I'm sure there's very expensive real estate by you as well, but not everyone carries a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage. So <laughs> um, again, that's why I think so. People in New York are hysterical because yeah. they're like, you know, good luck trying to find a house for seven hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. It'll never happen. Can't find it. So people in New York are really going to be hurt. Um, people outside won't feel it as much. Somebody from the IRS once told me tax laws aren't meant to be fair. <laughs> well, you know, what is it, what's the expression, Roy? Is price we pay for a civilized society? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, in the press and media, the primary discussion of the new tax laws have been what we just talked about, tax brackets, rates, limitations on itemized deductions, higher uh, standard deduction, all that kind of stuff. Are there any significant under-the-radar tax code changes that could catch at least some of our listeners unaware, something maybe we haven't been well, heard on the about? Positive, well, one of the things on the positive side, that people who are sole proprietors, oh. meaning that they're, they're self-employed, they have small businesses, yeah. uh, and people in partnerships as well, again, there's also thresholds and numbers involved here, but... For many people, they're going to get a 20% deduction on their qualified business income, and that's huge for some people. Again, we're not talking about people making tons of money, you know, millions. Um, But for someone who makes maybe $100,000, let's say their business makes $100,000, they have $20,000 of expenses, so their net income is $80,000, they're going to get a 20% deduction. So that's a beautiful thing on this tax code. It's really going to help a lot of small businesses. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but there are things that are also really are painful, but, you know, 
we can't get upset about it. It's not going to take effect this year. And, you know, we're going to live through it. When you say it's not going to take effect, I thought it was in effect for 2018. It you does, but in, in terms of... tax filing. Uh, right, and, and that's the thing. Everybody's hysterical and they're running, should I form a corporation and should I do this? <laughs> and and they, they think it affects 2017, and it doesn't. There's yeah. only one little change that affects 2017 from the tax bill. And what is and that one change that affects 2017? That's the threshold for medical expenses. Oh, I see. So, so we know when we have medical expenses that we have to get over a particular floor. And that floor, they've raised it recently to 10%, and that's tough. Let me give you an example. Say you, your adjusted gross income, say you make $50,000 and maybe yeah. you have a couple of dollars of bank interest, and that's it. In order for you to get over the threshold, you know, 10%, yeah. $5,000, how many people have out-of-pocket yeah. It, it, it's it's very difficult, but you know what? Believe it or not, if you if you do a little bit of intelligent planning, maybe you can get over the threshold. So let me yeah. give you an example. So maybe your insurance is covered by work, so it's not out of pocket. So you can't, yeah. you know, that was pre-tax, so you can't double dip. Yeah. But here's what you can look at. Lord knows, dental insurance pays for nothing, right? So every time you go to the dentist, if you're getting a procedure, how much out of pocket you pay? Hundreds, thousands. Yeah. So if we add up the dental the glasses, the contact lenses, yeah. um, the medical travel, the co-pays. You know, if you, if you combine a whole bunch of things in a year, and, and that's a good indication of some tax planning, you might be able to get over the threshold that year. So, for, so let me give you an example. Don't get something done in November and then February. Try to cram it into the same year to see yeah. if you can get over that threshold. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's but I'm not trying to, you know, there are some things more important, though, than, than taxes. <laughs> so if you really need some <laughs> medical procedures, you know, don't listen true. to me on that one. If listen you have to your a uh, diagnosis of a fatal disease that uh, you need treatment for right away, maybe you should. Right. Well, actually, right. it's only January now, so I guess we don't need to worry about that right now, <laughs> postponing it to 2019. <laughs> well, right. So, but it's a thought. Yeah, let's turn to the more immediate challenge of filing our federal tax returns for 2017. What are the top ten mistakes that we should avoid during this uh, tax filing season? You don't have to give us all ten, but uh, maybe give us a few of those top sure. mistakes that people make. Okay, well, let's remember that we have to keep all of our receipts when we make charitable donations because – don't think that if you're audited, well, I'll go scramble around and I'll ask the church for this and I'll ask this person for that. You have to have those receipts in hand on or about the time that those donations are made or the IRS will deny it. Yeah. So, you know, we have to have receipts for everything, especially when it comes to charity, even if it's $10 a receipt of some kind. When we get to the 250 range, we have to have not only the receipt, like some kind of proof that you made the payment, like a check stub or a credit card statement, but you need an acknowledgement letter. Thank you, Roy, for your kind gift of X. Yeah, yeah, so, I try to get those. <laughs> yep, and and if, let's just say you get audited and you go, oh, I really can't find that receipt, and I gave them three grand. Oh, they gave me a replacement letter. That yeah. replacement letter will have a current date. You know, the IRS will kick that out and not accept huh. it. I'll be darned. Well, at least so, after this year, with that higher uh, standard deduction, we won't have to worry so much about it. But <laughs> that, of course, doesn't apply to 2017. 
Right. But for some people, you, you never know. You know, they could have situations where they they still will qualify to itemize. They are married. Maybe someone's working in, in a high-tax state, and, and that 24000 is you know, doesn't preclude, they can have, you know, high state and local taxes, high medical that year. Maybe there's a disaster in a in a, a presidential uh, declared area. So yeah. you can have a lot of things that might push you over to yeah. that 24K. So, you know, again, it's always worth it having it in your file and your best friend's a scanner. So scan yeah, these things so you don't get lost and then you're good. Yeah, and uh, what are a couple of other mistakes you could identify that we might make? Well, a lot of people who are self-employed say, you know, I didn't get that form 1099 miscellaneous in the mail. I was supposed to get that by the 31st, so I didn't get it, so I'm not going to include it on my tax return. And that's called tax evasion. So whether or not you get a form, if you have income, it goes on your tax return. We have to declare every worldwide dollar. So we don't want to play those games because there's no such thing as you know, off the books, under the table. You can call it anything you want. It's fraud, it's tax evasion. And some people go, well, how will I get caught? And yeah. and you know what? The first chapter of 101 Ways to Stay Off the IRS Radar tells you all the ways that the IRS can find you out. And they they can look at your bank statement and see, you know, and they say, wait a minute, how could you possibly pay for this, that, and the other thing without this extra money? Yeah. Or... What if the employer sent the 1099 to the IRS but never sent you your copy? So you're thinking you're, you're off and running and the IRS can be waving that piece of paper. So, again, let's be smart. You know, there's, there's no way to trick the IRS. Why play games? It's cheaper to do it right than to be paying interest penalties and be on the IRS radar. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, there are a few things a few things that are more scary than receipt of a notice that the IRS is auditing your return. According to a common myth, are filers actually chosen for audit? Are they really selected at random? There, there's all kinds of audits. So some could be, you know, I have people come to my office and go, why, why was I audited? <laughs> and I look at a tax return that and it wasn't prepared by my office. Maybe they prepared it or they went to a fraudulent preparer who just made up stuff. But when you look at it, you go, why would you not be audited on this? This stuff <laughs> screams, get me. <laughs> So that's one type of thing. That there's something there that red flags, and you know when something's audited by the IRS, there's different flags. It can be flagged by the computer, then it gets in, set, in front of a set of eyes, and yeah. if somebody looks at that and they go, "Let's just bring these folks in." So that's yeah. one thing. You could also be a profession audit because the IRS learns about different professions via auditing. So there are times when, if they have the time and resources to do it, they will bring in people from that. And then there's the dreaded random audit, uh, which is, again, how they just learn about, uh, you know, it's how they come up with their numbers and they make the score of, like, what's normal versus what kind of flags. So if you're one of those random audits, that's never fun because you know what? Those are line-by-line audits where every single, if you put, you know, $3 down, you have to substantiate everything. No fun. That don't scare me. (laughs) No. No, I've never done anything intentionally wrong. (laughs) Exactly. And, And you know what? If you do nothing wrong, and you have the proof for everything, and you keep the records like we've been talking about today, you're going to be fine. So it, Believe it, it or not, people, on occasion, some people actually get uh, money back after an audit. I had an audit years ago that uh, I had failed to report some uh, 
not because I didn't understand the rules. I didn't report some uh, capital gains within a mutual fund that I held and throughout the period, and the IRS caught it, and it turns out I had more losses than gains, so they actually gave me some money back. <laughs> exactly, and you know what? It happens. Right. Believe me, I, I, I have audits where I get thousands back for clients, um, but again, every situation is what warrants it. Um, some people just make mistakes, and it, as you said, they don't understand the law, which yeah. is why you, know, you you really need to, you know, if, if your situation is a little bit more, anything more than a W-2 and a couple of dollars of bank interest, you yeah. really should have a tax professional because if you don't understand the questions the software is asking, you can't possibly give the right answer. Yeah. Plus, no one's really giving you planning tips for your situation, yeah, and I'm really big on that. I don't just put numbers in boxes. I, I want to analyze the return, and you know, I, I, I will pick on my clients and say, you know what, you could have done better. I, yeah. You could have had more in this 401. You would have had a bigger refund if you did it. Yeah. Why don't I see an IRA here? So I, I bother them. You oh, know, they, they, they might hate me now, but the right way. <laughs> yes, yeah, they hate me now, but you know what? When they get to eat later in life, maybe they'll remember yeah. me. Who knows? <laughs> well, we've heard recently of frauds where callers report to be the IRS demanding immediate payment of overdue taxes, all kinds of garbage like that. What should a yeah. listener do to verify that a call is legitimate before sending in funds? I know you uh, you offer a sheet or uh, a free download that. Uh, list tips that uh, how you can tell if it's a scam or not. Could you just touch on uh, what a few of those uh, telltale sure. signs might be? <laughs> well, the first thing is when you get those calls, you know, the, the first sign is if you got a call out of the blue. Yeah. Because the IRS never initiates contact by phone. Yeah. So if you got a notice that would and, and it wouldn't be just one notice. Believe me, you'd get a, you'd be able to paper your house with all the notices before the IRS starts calling you. So if you get yeah. a call out of the blue, that's your first sign that something's wrong. And yeah. I just do want to share the most important thing with your listeners. These scammers have been perfecting this since 2013. It's coming predominantly from overseas, yeah. and they have scripts. And these people are master manipulators. They pay they prey on the elderly. They prey on the millennials. They they prey on the deaf using the hearing impaired. They scare people to using Skype and holding up their credit cards. So, do they never, ever send notices by email? <laughs> no, they they yeah, never e they will never email you. So again, the first thing is if this contact that you're receiving is the first time you've heard of a problem, hang up. And you yeah. know what? If you're not sure, hang up anyway because you can call the real IRS. Yeah. And and just say, hey, is there a problem? You know, you don't, yeah. you do not have to fall prey to these people. They will threaten, and the IRS never calls you and screams and threatens jail or arrest or deportation. That will never happen. Because the minute you hear those things, um, that is the time to just slam the phone down. Don't even worry about having any contact. Um, I have a new book out. It's called Combat Tax Related Identity Theft, and I take people through all of the scams oh. and. And, and it's really helpful because the more you hear of it, then you go, oh, that's exactly what you talked about. Boom, I can hang up and I can – I don't even have to call the IRS because I know this is faker than yeah. anything. You know, it's available you on never Amazon. To, never make a check out to IRS. <laughs> right, right. And that's one of the things I say. Don't say, make a check out to IRS and here's why. Because the scammer is going to be writing MRS, Mrs., and they'll put Mrs. Smith and they'll, it'll clear the bank account. So <laughs> – you know what, go to reallifetaxadvice.com, download that free tip sheet. If you have um, Kindle Unlimited, you can read the book for free, and you're going to get some really great tips. 
as well as it's, it's like less than $10 on Amazon. And lastly, should you become the victim of, ta- of tax-related identity theft? And let me tell you something. We can thank Equifax and Uber and, and a million other companies for exposing our private information. If you become a victim and someone has filed fraudulent returns, yeah. the book takes you through the exact steps and it has free downloadable worksheets so you can oh, document great. what you did. And I, I hold your hand through the process. Yeah. So it, it's important to learn these things, but never, ever, you know, give money on an on a iTunes card or a store card. Yeah. The IRS never tells you how to make the payment. Yeah. So uh, this this book that you're talking about is a brand-new book. Uh, give us the name of that book again. Yep. And where the- that one's called Combat Tax-related identity theft. Oh, and that's and again, that's, uh, that's available on Amazon. Yep, both books are up on Amazon, and you know the combat book is, is quick read, but it's going to familiarize yourself with the scams. You know, boy, they even have a jury duty scam now. They scam the veterans with these stories. Oh. They scam social, you know, social security. Um, and, and when people were signing up recently for. Uh, you know, Social Security and, and Medicare and the Part B and all that, the, the scammers would call saying, hey, I've got your application here, and pe- many people do it. So they, they yeah. know how to target groups and who they're hitting on. Yeah. To, to, You know, it, it's just very sad because most people are normal. They, they don't go around slamming the phone down on people, but, no. you know, I, I want people to just understand, feel free to do it because if anyone gets a little agitated and catches an attitude and threatens you, it's yeah. fake. Yeah. Guarantee it. Well, where's the best place to go to preview and purchase your books? Do you have a, a website we should go to or Amazon? or where, where Sure. Should we go? Well, the books are up at Amazon, and we have lots of free checklists and other information at reallifetaxadvice.com, just like it sounds, reallifetaxadvice.com. And I also, you can access my blog, which is called Abby Talks Tax, and, you know, lots of great information because, you know, arm yourself with this knowledge. It's very sad to hear the stories. There are people who lost their life savings. And you know what? Even if it's not your life savings, you don't want to lose three grand to a scammer. No, you don't want to lose a penny. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, what's sad is a lot of people don't want to um, call it in or or, or bring bring any attention to themselves because they're humiliated. They're like, how can I fall for it? And you know what? They are manipulators. Many smart, smart people have fell for it. and. My job is to you know, get rid of these scammers, and I want to help people stay safe. That's what it's all about. Well, in conclusion, with almost daily media coverage of the new tax law, favorable and unfavorable, lots of individual taxpayers and small business owners are rightfully nervous over how it will impact them. But in light of the confusion, it was great to speak with a widely recognized tax expert like Abby Eisencraft to help clear things up. And of course, our immediate challenge is to file our 2017 tax returns. And please remember, as she pointed out, all the changes except that one on medical deductibility, all the changes recently passed into law in no way directly impact your taxes you owe for 2017. And it's uh, great to have a common sense a series of guidelines for filing your personal taxes. And uh, for this, I highly recommend you preview and purchase either the book that uh, she mentioned 
or her uh, 19, or 2017 book, 101 Ways to Stay Off the IRS Radar. And simply based upon today's discussion with Abby, I feel I know a lot more about uh, the whole subject of taxes than before. And thanks a million, Abby Eisencraft, for, uh, and best of success with your books and your advisory services. Thanks so much. It was great fun talking to you. Take care. And I certainly will be busy throughout the new year as everyone adjusts oh, yes. the new law. Thanks so much, and bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Before we go, let me ask you this question. How many years ago did the following thought first cross your mind? I feel old. <laughs> Those three little words pop into just about everybody's head at middle age, even sometimes at a younger age, often at random moments. Your back gives out after a workout. Walking by a store window, you catch a glimpse of yourself that looks a lot like your dad or your mom. And you're at a concert and you can't wait for it to end. And you're dreading the traffic. That's a sure sign of growing old, isn't it? The following thoughts are from an article by Claire Ansbury in the October 3, 2017 Wall Street Journal, although some of the thoughts are my own. And usually when someone says they feel old, it's not a good thing because the word, word old is applied widely and disparagingly unless we're talking about antiques. Then, of course, we might be honoring age. An old car generally means a wreck. An old dress means you don't want to be seen in it. Think of this. There is almost no way of saying I feel old to mean I feel great, says Loris Carstensen, a Stanford University psychology professor. And she says people come to feel old for two reasons, and it's true, isn't it? One is physical, and the other one is social. On the physical side, the doctor prescribes heart medication for the first time. You're really tired after what used to be an easy workout for you. Hairlines begin to recede, men only, hopefully. <laughs> and the word, the social, you're old, uh, often comes from others, either directly, the you're too old to wear that comment, or perhaps a sir or a madam from a clerk at the store, which implies you're getting old, or perhaps internally by comparing yourself with others or with your previous faster and leaner self. And here's why this matters. If you feel young, regardless of age, you tend to live longer than if you feel old. Studies have shown that. As in sick and tired, subjective age predicts how long you live, believe it or not. People don't mind feeling older when it's in the context of being more capable and confident, as in older and wiser. And feeling old isn't always bad, but it is really complicated. Professional athletes and those who labor physically for a living might feel older than others. A 36-year-old major league ball player or Tom Brady at 40, although he's still doing pretty well, isn't he? And uh, ladies, you tend to feel old more often because you pay closer attention to your bodies and notice sagging arms and wrinkles on your face. And Carolyn Black Becker, a professor of psychology at Trinity University in San Antonio, surveyed more than 900 women between the ages of 18 and 87. Can you believe an 18-year-old feeling like they're getting old? And found that more than half of the 18 to 29-year-olds worried about looking old. Now, isn't that pathetic? <laughs> when we're in our 40s and 18-year-olds are worried about looking old. Uh, she blames in part the proliferation of anti-aging products 
products and procedures like facelifts and all these creams that you can buy, which send the message that aging is bad. So why not celebrate age? Don't be taken back when you receive a mailing saying that you'll soon be eligible for senior discounts. And I'll admit it's a little disconcerting when you get that first invitation to join AARP. I'm not knocking AARP, but I think you have to be at least 50 to get that uh, <laughs> get romanced by them. And when young people sometimes feel old, the older often feel young, or at least not as old as they are. I guess that's the good news as we get older, maybe we'll feel younger. A 2009 Pew Research Center study that was uh, referenced in this article in the Wall Street Journal found that 60% of adults 65 and older feel younger than their age, with a gap between actual age and felt age widening as people grow older. <laughs> so I guess we'll find the fountain of youth in our minds as we reach 65. <laughs> Nearly half of those ages 50 and older say they feel at least 10 years younger, while a third of those 65 to 74 feel 10 to 19 years younger. Wow, there is hope, isn't there? People who spend their time talking about being sick and old, however, feel old and sick. It's kind of like a uh, <clears throat> prophecy fulfilled, isn't it? So why not avoid it? <laughs> That's a good question. Awareness of age isn't necessarily a bad thing, says Ellen Langer, a Harvard psychologist and author, appreciating that time isn't endless helps set priorities, and we all need to think about that. She believes people feel and act old because they are expected to once they reach a certain age, and isn't that ridiculous how chronological age can tell us how to think? And, you know, you're not necessarily over the hill if you're 45 and haven't accomplished everything you wanted to up to now. Tomorrow is a whole other day, and you have a lot of living left to do. If anyone over 50 is sore after gardening, they blame age rather than the fact that they spent 45 minutes in an awkward position, and a 15-year-old would probably feel just as achy if they did that. So in closing today's program, here are my suggestions. First of all, stop worrying and obsessing about growing older. It doesn't do any good. It helps you feel sick and old. And there isn't anything you or I can do about advancing chronological age. We all go through it. And as humans, none of us are going to get out of the world alive. But let's live while we can. Uh, and when you'd uh, rather not celebrate that next birthday, even if it's, uh, or especially if it's 50, 60, or maybe even 70, one of those uh, alarming ages we reach, never forget the alternative to celebrating a birthday is <laughs> not being alive. And rather than mourn over what you've lost, strength, flexibility, endurance, that youthful appearance, celebrate what you've gained with age, experience, friendships, wisdom, confidence, hopefully self-confidence that you didn't have in your youth. And thirdly, whatever your age, stay positive concerning your next phase in life. If you're nearing retirement, your reaction should not be, what am I retiring from, but rather, what am I retiring to? Because uh, you've got a whole lot of living left to do just because you're no longer employed. And uh, another obviously important item is to watch your diet and stay active. 
uh, through exercise that's appropriate for your age. If you no longer feel you're up to jogging, which I often don't feel like doing anymore, it's perfectly okay to switch to a brisk daily walk or remember that uh, exercise equipment you have in your basement. You can go on that for as long as you feel up to it. And finally, remember Professor Langer's advice, time isn't endless, so set positive goals and priorities. Uh, What do you want to do to accomplish before you're too old to care? And above all else, always think of ways you can benefit your fellow human beings, be they members of your family, close loved ones, or somebody you meet on the street. If you, uh, if your life has been joyful up to now, who can you inspire to a similar life of joy? Even if you feel like you've wasted a good portion of your life and it uh, hasn't been what you really wanted it to be, what mistakes can you inspire loved ones to avoid so that they don't have that same empty feeling? when they grow older. The bottom line, attitude makes all the difference. We all know that. Your enjoyment of self and of others at any age all comes down to your outlook on today and tomorrow. And there's no reason that the best years are behind us. In fact, studies have shown that the happiest folks are those uh, just after retirement. And if uh, you genuinely believe that things will get better with age, they undoubtedly will. And for a comprehensive uh, roadmap on how to turn a dull and dismal today into a bright and joyful tomorrow, may I suggest you preview and purchase my book, A Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. You'll find it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And that's it for now. Tune in next week when we'll advance again through the challenges and triumphs of middle age. And after a while, Crocodile, see you next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.